From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. Happy holidays. In this episode, we're celebrating our favorite things of North Carolina wine for 2023 with some of our fellow bloggers and wine influencers. We discuss events that stood out to us and talk about what we're looking forward to in 2024. We also had two special mystery wines with a fun new twist this year. Wine Class with the Wine Mouths is back. Join us as they take us through that next chapter in the history of wine. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So the holidays are here, so we're here with some of our favorite friends, wine friends, and we're here to talk about North Carolina wine in the past year. So happy holidays, everyone. Welcome to Cork Talk. So we'll have a little bit of an order to this one. We're going to do quick intros, and we have a mystery wine that Joe poured us, and we're in sensory deprivation glasses. So we don't know if it's a red or a white, then it's a complete blackout glass. So we're all judging by our nose and our taste. Yeah, so as everyone introduces themselves, they're going to get to ask a, a single yes-no question about this wine. So we can, we're going to try to figure out what it is. Now, of course, this is a North Carolina wine. And um, as we go through, we'll hopefully figure out what it is and where it's from. So let's go around the table. Let's start to my right, Deloren. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again this year. I'm Deloren with Blinds and Bubbly. Um, and just super excited to be here. You need to ask me a question? Go for it. So, is this from the Yakin Valley? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, next. I'm Delaine Martin, and Andrew's with me. I'll let him introduce himself, and we are winey friends, and we are on a mission to visit every winery in North Carolina. Yep. What's your question, Doug? Well, that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know the answer. Is it a white one? It is. All right. Uh, my name is Andrew. I'm a contributor for Winey Friends. Um, like Delane, we're trying to visit all the North Carolina wineries with the mission of promoting what North Carolina has to offer. Um, hmm. Is this Riesling? It is not. Okay. All right, next. All right. So I'm Jessica. And I'm Jessie. And together we are the Wine Mouths. Um, we provide wine education classes, uh, primarily right now through Davidson Davy Community College. And through Cork Talk. And through Cork Talk. Once a month right here. Um, okay, my question, is it a French grape? Not exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, my question. Uh, is the varietal one word? No. Hmm. Good question. That is a good question. <laughs> Yours was tough. It's yeah, yeah, not directly, but probably directly. Okay. All right. I'm Natalie Hampton. I'm with Tar Heel Taps and Courts, which is a blog about North Carolina beer and wine. And my question about this wine would be: 
Is it from Jones Bond Trail? It is not. Uh, hey, I'm Brianna Burns from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council and the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. And I'm wondering if it's Saval Blanc. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, you're good. Can I tell you where it's from? Sure. I think it's Shadow Springs. Yes. <laughs> what vintage? 2021. 2022. Correct. And what? And Their what, winner. The winner what, of the NC Wine. Yes. And that's why I chose it. Yeah. Because I figured you probably would. It's get. so good. I love this wine so much. Really good. So that was quick. Yeah. So sorry. We all ruined it for everyone. I did. I won't do that again. At first, so I thought that it was Sauvignon Blanc because it kind of has that yeah. grassy kind of mm -hmm. aromatic And that's why your question was a little tough yeah. for me because I don't remember specifically the parent parentage of Sauvignon Blanc. I know it's some it's a French, French hybrid, hybrid basically. Yeah. So it's yes, sort no, of. But and the two words was a really yeah. good Yeah, that was a good one. That was, that was a good yeah. question. But yeah, this is excellent. You can see why it won the, the mm -hmm. North Carolina Wine Competition. competition so. Yeah, so second half, we'll have another wine that Matt picked, so I don't know what that is. So uh, after our break, first break, we'll pour that in the glasses and then everyone will guess again. Brianna maybe doesn't get the first question. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll make her give maybe the, I'll have the maybe first you give the first question. Because it helps me. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, that's true. That's true. All right. All right, so let's open it up to discussion. So the first half, we want to really talk about what stood out to everyone. And it can be in the industry, specifically, you know, the wine industry, if you will. So what stood out? What are some experiences that you really had this year that you really enjoyed? Who wants to go first? Well, I'd like to say that I really enjoyed the summit and the chance to visit Crest of the Blue Ridge. I had not, I had tasted their wines before, but had not had the chance to actually visit the wineries. And I thought that was amazing. And I like your idea of moving to a summit experience where we would do some tours one year maybe. And have the conference back. So anyway, it was a it was a really good overall event, but I especially enjoyed visiting those ones. Yeah, they did a fantastic job of hosting, and it was their first time. And I think some of them were very nervous about about doing it, and it was wonderful. Um, and they handled it. We were there on weekends, and it was July, and yes. it was busy, and they still pulled it out and gave us a top-notch experience. And as you said, Natalie, the wines are fantastic in that area. Um, that is one of my favorite things of the year as well. Uh, but I just think through some of the experiences we had at every single place, um, it was beyond my expectations. So we started out with the hikes through the vineyard at Southern Williams, Southern Williams on Saturday and then uh, lunch and tours at St. Paul and Appalachian Ridge. And then Sunday, um, we started our day with brunch at Mark Tree and tours throughout the vineyard there. Um, and then we were at Stone Ash and then dinner at Point Lookout. And the treatment that we got at all those places was amazing. And um, the wines have certainly continued to improve in that area as they do across the state. Uh, so yes. If you haven't visited that ABA yet, go. Plus, Hendersonville is a great little town itself. So, and I'll piggyback on that. So, Stone Ash was so cool. We got to ride the tractor through the vines, and I got <laughs> some really good content there. That was that was really a treat. And I think we were trying to help him make that an experience that they offer people because it, right now it was just kind of something that they do if you ask to do it. But 
they could charge for that kind of experience. Yeah, sure. It's really special. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that entire day with all of you. Um, another thing that we've been doing is um, collaborating with some local, so Catawba River Inn, Melanie and um, Jeff. Um, they're right over there by Linville Falls, and you know we do our annual event at Linville Falls, the tree cutting, and uh, we were just there last weekend actually. But we've spent a lot of time with Melanie, and she is really collaborating with the local vineyards to bring the experience back to the inn. So you have an overnight stay, and then there's you know roasting marshmallows and fire pits, and you can take little walks on the trails and all the things. Really, really, really cool. So those that was one of my. We've done that maybe five times this year, and I am really enjoying that. And then, again, she's collaborating with the vineyard, so each time you can go to a different vineyard and, and um, partner with them. So super cool. I love that everybody's kind of trying to create an experience, something special and different and new. Um, and, yeah, so good times. Yeah, I think experiences are on the rise, and it's really cool because yeah. you can do more than just sit there and go through a tasting. You can actually experience other stuff in the area like yeah. the natives. So. Yeah. I can go next. Um, you kind of picking up what she's saying, the experiences do make your, your trips. And we all go to so many places and visit all these wonderful wineries and the people we meet make the experience so great. And, you know, this year for me has been like what I've called the year of second chances. So like I've went back to a lot of places that like maybe wasn't a great experience or, you know, maybe there was something that I didn't like about it or, you know, that was off-putting and really went back and, you know, a lot of places have gotten new tasting room managers or a new somebody in charge of making their wine and, you know, night and day, right? And it's like, and I encourage people like, you know, get back out there, give it another shot, go again. Things are changing. We're getting, everything's getting better. And, you know, our industry is so great because we get to meet and work with each other so closely and we're not like always in competition. We're in this like group and, you know, things just keep getting better, it seems like, every time I go. So it's, you know, for me, it was the year of second chances, going back to some of the places I'd already been and giving them another shot at some things. And I so. like that. And to what we talked about earlier, we went to Finger Lakes and Napa Valley this year and had a great time. Um, but, you know, you need to go visit. But once we got back, we firmly believed that North Carolina wineries and the winery experience can stand up to any of those. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people just don't realize we're not just sweet wine. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, we have something it, for everyone. If, if, sweet, if sweet wine is what you like, we have that. Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, That's right. but we meet but so many people that. that, you know, we tell them what we're doing. We want to visit every winery in North Carolina. We blog about it. And they're like, oh, well, this is just sweet. I was like, you're missing. You're missing out. Mm -hmm. Well, and having just been to Napa and Sonoma ourselves, what I appreciate about North Carolina wineries is that it's a much more approachable yes. experience. You don't need a reservation in most cases. Um, it's not going to cost you 50 to $60 a person to taste wine. Um, and, um, you know, it's you get really good wine. Um, where You also have the opportunity in a lot of cases to meet your winemaker or your owner. And, and in these big wineries, that's never gonna happen. So I really, it did um, fun experience being out there, but I really appreciate coming back to North Carolina and all we have to offer. Um, so one new experience that we did this year this with our classes was we hosted a summer camp. It was three nights in a row, one week. And it was a little bit more casual, informal. 
Um, but just the support we got from local wineries that would host us and be part of our class was really great. And of course, our class participants were amazing. Um, that was one great thing this year. Yeah, and finding new places because the college wanted us to do it only in Davie County. So the three wineries in Davie County <laughs> were very gracious and allowed us to have our class there. So. Yeah. And it was great. I did um, uh, summer camp. You know, you write letters home. So I wrote a letter home to my mom every night. I never sent them. I didn't even let her know. I may have told her, but yeah. <laughs> you didn't even let her read them, did you? No, not yet. Oh, so. they're too private. <laughs> yeah, every single night. So he wasn't paying attention to what yeah. you two were saying. He was writing that to his mom. All right, Brianna. All right. Uh, well, I have to say that. You know, I've lived in North Carolina for like 32 years now, and I haven't hadn't been to as many places around just the state, not just wineries, but just to see sites as I have after uh, accepting this position. So I think that was one of the coolest things that I one of the coolest things that I've been able to do is to really drive around the entire state and see really cool things, whether it's Pilot Mountain, you know, driving out. I, I now I'm so used to Pilot Mountain, um, but just you know, just different things like that. Going to Asheville, seeing Hendersonville, going to the downtown. You know, I would have never gone to some of the small towns before, and I've gotten the opportunity. So that was really that's been a really nice thing. Yeah, I mean, it can be a gateway to exploring the rest of the state. I mean, stop at a few wineries and then stop at something else along the way. So. Um, yeah, it's a great way to see the state too. Is just go yeah. visit the vineyards, go visit the wineries. You can go everywhere from mountains to sea. It's it's great. I think I finally got to all 100 counties by going to wineries. Cool. Them, so that's pretty neat. Like the last one was Graham. Graham County was my last one. Oh really? Do you have a scratch off map? Here? No, but no, it's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've been there. Yes, I've been there. That's cool. To make one of those. Yeah. yeah. It's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it needs content. You could, you know, yeah, yeah, that's content. cool. <laughs> so I don't know, Joe. What would you say is one of your favorite things, or the uh, was our prompt? I think Something I'm gonna to I'm gonna re-echo some of of what some others have said. I mean, Natalie's already touched on, and I touched on the the Hendersonville experience with the Digital Media Summit. Uh, but in general. It's, it is still cool that you can go and you can still see the owners and their, their passion and, mm -hmm. and their pride in what they're doing. Um, another thing that stood out to me was 2023 was a pretty good harvest for most people in the state. Yeah. So I look forward to, as we're still continuing to see wines from 2019 come out, particularly reds now, um, those wines have been pretty stellar for the most part. And I think 2030 is something to look forward to uh, a couple years down the line as those wines start to, to come out. And um, I think we're very fortunate that it seems to be about every other year is a pretty good year, uh, which I think is about what we could ask for on the East Coast with our climate and with climate change as well. So those are some things that kind of stick out to me is hearing about how good the quality of the grapes were. We, you know, farmers may not have appreciated other farmers the, the dry summer that we had, but uh, grape growers certainly did. So, okay. and great uh, people that appreciate the products made from grapes. So. I'm going to continue on the quality trend because I think quality year over year. So we've been going at this ten years. A lot of us are in the same situation. We've all been around for a while. So 
the quality year over year over year, you think back to where we were 10 years ago, and you know, it was 2013, which was a really wet year that year, but the quality has just been going up and up and up year over year. And you find these pockets of really, really great areas that are great for growing grapes. So I'm excited that North Carolina seems like it's finally getting into the place where they know what's going to grow here. We're still young, so it could change. It's going to change. We're still figuring some stuff out, but there are a lot of cool things like this wine that we're drinking right now. We maybe would never have found that other places, and it's, it's really good. Yeah, it's cool that we have uh, our native grapes. We have our French and Italian and Spanish varieties. We also have a lot of hybrids, and that diversity of what's available. Also, cider mead. There's a lot... You're seeing a lot more readeries pop up, a lot more cideries pop up, uh, which is which is really cool as well. And it just adds to the variety of what's available across the state. Excellent. Any other standout things that we want to talk about the first half before we move into the half number two? Remind us again of what this mystery wine is, right? <laughs> so the mystery wine is the 2022 Save All Blanc from Shadow Springs, which was the, the custom show winner at the North Carolina Wine Competition back earlier this year. So congratulations to them on that uh, award. And if anyone needs a little bit more, we're doing the unveiling if you're hearing the, the, <laughs> the crinkle of the, of the foil. Um, but yeah, so, and it's officially Swan Creek, but I believe it is that piece that it came from is their vineyard, which is also part of the Atkin Valley. So, all right. <laughs> We're going to take our education segment next, and we'll be back for round number two. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thank you. So we're rounding out the year in yeah. our history of wine. So let's get going. Yeah, We're just going to round out the 1900s. We're not even going to make it into the 2000s. All Aww. right. Well, well, so we, we can mostly years. remember those, right? I know. Yeah. I think we were all present. We're living it. Exactly. Right. Um, but before we begin, we have to go back. So mm. we're going way back. And if you remember, like, to the way back. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> to the beginning of America. <laughs> um, but if you... <laughs> yeah, let me get my whistle out and play a... Colonial song, because if you remember, the English pitched camp at Jamestown and actually had tried to grow grapes way back in 1607, but clearly that didn't work out too well, right? But then they kept trying. We all remember Thomas Jefferson. He attempted to grow European vines. He tried for 36 years, but never made a bottle of wine. Bless his little heart. He kept trying and didn't give up. George Washington also tried. Wait, they were, he lived before Thomas Jefferson, so like, okay. He tried it first. He tried it first, then TJ got involved. But George Washington tried for 11 years at Mount Vernon before giving up and moving to apple branding. So like, things were not looking great for a wine and vinifera in the Americas. So who would try again if our founding fathers couldn't make it work? Enter Gianni Zonin, boss of Italy's biggest family, and they owned a wine company. He actually fell in love with Virginia, the state apparently, and he thought, what a lovely place for a vineyard. This is going to be great. And the local officials actually offered Zonin cigars and said that the future of Virginia is tobacco. Here, gather around. <laughs> good, luck. good luck. Stop trying. Yeah. 
This is tobacco land, my dude. Uh, but Zonin bought the Barbersville estate along with the ruins of a mansion designed by Thomas Jefferson. And on April 13, 1976, he broke soil, and in 1978, he produced 300-ish bottles of Cabernet Sauvignon. Hmm. So, Art of Virginia wine. Yeah. Again. Again. Part two. Uh, he did not go for the tobacco. He went for the wine. That's my guy. So now we have the Judgment of Paris. We're in 1976, 200 years since the American Declaration of Independence. We have a man named Stephen Spurrier. He's a young Englishman who ran one of Paris's best wine shops. He, was, he also ran a wine academy. He knew French wine inside and out. He knew all the personalities in the French wine trade. But he was also a little bit of a radical. And as much as he loved France, he was also aware of the progress of wines in other places like California and Australia and other locations. So this 200-year mark seemed too good of a chance for him to miss, to like shake up the French establishment of wine. So he organized a blind tasting, but he knew he couldn't tell French judges there would be American wine. They wouldn't do it. But the judges included the man in charge of judging wines for the National Appalachian Control, the secretary of the Grand Cru classes in Bordeaux, co-owner of Burgundy's Greatest Estate. We have editors of, the, of France's two leading wine magazines, restaurateurs of Michelin star restaurants. So we have top-notch French judges who really loved French wine. They were they had quite a bias, which is why he did not tell them they were in <laughs> here. But, and Spurrier didn't make it easy. He didn't stack the deck in America's favor. He included some of the most famous white wines from Burgundy. He, he included first-growth Bordeaux. So he really put the best of French wine out there and the best of American wine out there in this blind tasting. But turns out, as we all know, their favorites ended up being California. So the white wine winner was Chateau Montalena. It was a Chardonnay, 1973, and Stag Leap's 1973 Cabernet Sauvignon. The French judges did not react well. <laughs> oh, no. One, Dieu. No, one tried to change his marks. Others refused to give Spurrier their notes. Mm. And another protested that he had been tricked. <laughs> Uh, there were press at this event, so the French press just kind of snuck away, no stories appeared, <laughs> pretended like they weren't there. Nothing happened. Nothing to see here. But there was one journalist, George Tabor, from Time Magazine, who was there, and he wrote a story for Time and titled it Judgment of Paris. Mm. Sorry, I still think of Alan Rickman whenever I think of Steve. Yeah, yeah same. He's so good. So kind of like harking forward or like looking forward in time, this is in like, you know, the seven, late, it's, this is happening in the 70s, but it took in really until the mid-1980s until there was widespread acceptance of California wines. So we see that it took until the mid-1980s for restaurants in New York who were like, they were the driver of taste and the hub for imports to finally start warm to California wines and begin to import them mm. and make them available on wine lists. 
So even though this happened in the 70s, it really just didn't take effect right away, I suppose. Hmm. That's why I added that. <laughs> yeah. So now we're going to take it from 1970s France to 1980s Germany. And when we think 1980s Germany, what do you think? I was going to say the Berlin Wall, I'm thinking, right? Mr. Gorbachev, break down that wall or whatever it was. Tear down that wall. There we go. Thank you. We didn't live it, so I don't know. We did live it. We We were like babies. Some of us did. Some of us weren't babies, but you know. But in addition to a wall, they had wine in Germany, right? And the rebirth of wine in eastern Germany has its beginnings in the 1980s. So, again, before we can go forward, we got to go back. So in 1989, the Berlin Wall, which had separated East and West Germany since 1961, was torn down and the borders were opened. So to paint the picture, we've got Western Germany backed by the West and democracy, Eastern Germany backed by the Soviet Union. No bueno. In Western Germany, post-World War II, the wine industry had evolved and things were still improving. There was private ownership creativity, diversity in wine. Um, The German wine regions on the west side of the wall included Mosul, Pfalz, Rheingau. These were, of course, affected by the war, but they recovered pretty quickly within a few decades after World War II and began producing renowned wines pretty quickly. But in the wine regions on the eastern side, so Saxony, Sal and Strut, in this whole part on the eastern side, of East Germany, there were only three wineries and they were all government-owned cooperatives. Flashing forward to today, one still exists as an association of 400 growers. There's one that also still exists called, its translation is is Little Red Riding Hood Sparkling Wine Cellar. Yeah, and it still produces millions of sparkling wines that are sold pretty cheaply in European markets. Not so much here, maybe. and they mostly import grapes from other Eastern European countries. And then there was a third that didn't sound as important, didn't make it in my list, and it was owned by the state. But yeah, so in Eastern Germany, under the Soviet system, wine was a commodity, and these wine cooperatives had one objective, quantity, not quality. So these mass-produced wines did not really have much quality or diversity in wine. Before the fall of the wall, the Berlin Wall, land was divided and parcels were given in small plots to anybody, <laughs> amateur wine growers, and they sold their grapes to co-ops and people grew pretty much whatever they could get their hands on. And they would most often just kind of blend whatever grapes they had into one wine. So they weren't doing like, you know, standalone varietals. Um, if a quality wine happened to make it past that point accidentally, it went to politicians and friends of the government <laughs> mm. instead of for consumption. Um, and the actual growers couldn't even buy wine, but they might receive compensation in wine bottles or trade with it on the black market. This all existed. Um, and actually, that black market kind of helped keep these old methods alive in eastern Germany. And again, before we go forward, we got to go back because co-ops weren't actually new at this time. Uh, these harkened back to even the 1850s. There was also a cooperative founded by the Nazis in 1934. 
And just in general, Eastern German regions had had a really rough go of it between climate, phylloxera, World War I, Nazis, World War II, uh, all these things that made it really hard before these cooperatives even existed and mm. where they weren't really focusing on quality so much as quantity. But again, we see this rebirth in Eastern Germany that happens once the wall falls and it really starts back in the 1980s because once the Berlin Wall fell and people were traveling across and kind of going back into Eastern Germany, young people were pretty motivated and emboldened to replant old vineyard sites and uh, kind of bring back the wine regions in Eastern Germany. So it's kind of interesting how that, again, you got to go back to go forward, but how that kind of harkened back to the 1980s and really took hold. So today, most vineyards in the in Eastern Germany are 40 years old at most, hmm. and there's still a lot of room for change and growth and lots of new things happening. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And knowing all that now, it makes it makes sense for the antifreeze scandal that happened yeah. with you know Austria and Germany. Yeah, which we did omit. Oh, and we mentioned there was gonna be a Schloss, so I can't leave this story out. Um, but to kind of paint a picture of what life was like in Eastern East Germany, um, we can consider the Lip family. They were one of the oldest arist aristocratic families in Germany. Um, they were wealthy, but they also happened to have a small percentage of Jewish blood. So that kind of pitted them against both the Nazis and then later the communists. And in 1943, in Nazi Germany, their castle or Schloss, was confiscated by Nazis. Um, and then in 1949, the patriarch of that family was actually imprisoned by the communist government and then later expelled to West Germany, um, where he stayed until the, the Berlin Wall fell. And in 1990, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the, this guy, the patriarch of this family, was over 80 at this point, and he decided he really wanted to get his schloss back. Hmm. So... Uh, in this article I read, the son takes two weeks off work and they go back to East Germany and they start to rebuy the estate piece by piece. And they had their slosh back and Aww. pieces of their, their mm. vineyard. So, um, yeah, got to get schlossed. Yeah. How was that Riesling? <laughs> yeah. And you can still, you can go visit it today. All right. We're going to hop around. Now we're going to head to New Zealand. So we have the Montana Wine Company. They are an Australian wine company. They were looking to expand in the 70s, probably a little bit. We're straddling the border of the 70s and 80s now. Um, but land around Auckland, where they were, was way too expensive. So then they looked to the North Island of New Zealand, but it was also expensive. But Marlborough, the region in the South Island, was so cheap. So forget what grows best where, right? Let's just buy some sheep land. So that's what they did. It had stony soils and it had sheep, of course. Oh, yeah. I just yeah. had to throw that yeah. in. Uh, in 1973, this Montana wine company bought 4,000 acres. A very big, you know, putting your toe in the water. Uh, they planted the first vine, which was Cabernet Sauvignon. Not what you probably expected me to say. But because of this massive nature of the undertaking, they needed vines. So 
So they bought all this land. Didn't seem like they had much of a plan, but the boss, a man named Frank, he put the word out. He said, I need vines, any vines to plant. Send me vines. Anything. <laughs> Anything. So one of the lots that came through was Savignon Blanc. Hmm. And shockingly to them, not to us, it produced an amazing and different Savignon Blanc. The first example wasn't made until 1979, and it wasn't until the 1983 vintage that the rest of the world realized how great the Marlboro region was for Savignon Blanc. Hmm. So we can think of this as another happy accident in wine. They only started growing Sauvignon Blanc there because that's just what they shifted in vines because he needed vines. <laughs> the accident. Yes. Huh. So this land was cheap, but there was even some cheaper land that was nearby. So there was another Australian, David Honan, and he wanted some land too, but his budget was a little tighter. He needed even cheaper land. Um, so he bought this land, and in 1985, he made the first Cloudy Bay Savignon Blanc. So yeah. we've heard of that. In 1986, that Cloudy Bay was voted the best Savignon Blanc in the world. Hmm. Interesting. Cheap land turned into really great wine. Yeah. We're going to hop around the world again, <laughs> and now we're going to go to Canada. Hmm. Okay. So short stories. Um, so we have... The Expo, which is the world's most important wine exhibition, it takes place every two years in Bordeaux. So it's just a big wine conference. But in 1991, there were 4,100 wines entered into this international challenge to see who was the best. And out of that whole lot, 4,000 wines, they picked 19 to win the Grand Prix d'Honneur. And... Of those 19 that won from the whole world, one of these was a Canadian ice wine. So oh, it was a 1989 wow. Canadian ice wine made from the Vidal grape, which is also interesting because that grape is not even allowed to grow in France. Yeah. Um, and this ex exhibition is taking place in Bordeaux. But the French, the French probably hated it, right? They didn't want this grape that didn't taste good. But it didn't, it helped Canada because Overnight, Canadian wine became famous. So that's kind of how the Canadian ice wine made the market. Hmm. And ice wine is obviously made from frozen grapes, ice wine. Since it's from Canada, it's actually spelt ice, <laughs> like you would think of ice wine. Huh. Um, 17, this was just interesting, 17.6 degrees Fahrenheit is the starting point for what you need the grapes to be at to be considered ice wine. Um, because there's water in there, but you need it to be colder with the sugar to be actually frozen. That makes sense. And every degree colder, colder than that just makes it more concentrated. Hmm. So they often pick in the middle of the night and crush in the middle of the night so that it's even colder. I'm torn. I don't know if I want them to have more events in Bordeaux so they keep on getting like fleeced or if they should have less events yeah. in Bordeaux so that they're like just keeping it real. I don't yeah. know. Thinking about those working conditions sounds cold. Yeah, it sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, so to round it out, we also, of course, have to talk about some food pairings. So, some ones we were going to call out for this episode were the New Zealand Saw Blanc. So, yeah, what would you guys normally like to pair that with? Mm. I like that just by itself. 
I, I was going to say so, a warm day on the porch. A yes. porch zipper. Yes. Porch pounder. There's so much flavor in it. That... Yeah. Not cat food, but, <laughs> <laughs> but could be cat pee. <laughs> uh, I, fish tacos, actually, I think. Mm. Go yeah, that one sounds too. good. Yeah, just any time on a warm, nice warm day. And the next one we we're going to call out was ice wine. Good old Ooh. Canadian ice wine. I don't know that I've had an actual they're lovely. They are lovely. I would say pumpkin pie. Pudding mm. chômeur. Ooh, yes. Pudding chômeur. Mm-hmm. A lovely Canadian dish to go with a Canadian ice wine. It's yeah, like a maple pudding cake kind of thing. Mm. It's fantastic. Not the furry animal I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. That's, that's the history of wine in 12 months. Yeah. It's a very abridged version. We've covered a lot of ground since prehistory, many sloshes. So many sloshes. A lot of baby doll lambs. <laughs> so many baby doll lambs. But Jesse Disco, this has been a very, very fun year. Thank you for taking us through the history of wine. And we look forward to seeing what we do next season. You can find out more information about the Winemouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, so we're back with our second half now, and in our glasses we have our second history line. So I know what this one is. Joe does not. Um, and we'll do similar to what we did before. You don't have to reintroduce yourselves. So we know everyone now. But let's start off by, you know, sniffing, swirling, sipping, whatever you want to do. And we can start asking questions. And because I think Brianna got the first one last time, we're going to start with Brianna. Yeah, go around. Is Remember, yes, no questions. Yes or no questions. Is it an Italian varietal? It is not. Um, is this a white wine? It is not. Is it a Bordeaux varietal? Yes, it is. Is it from the Yakin Valley? It is not. Is it rosé? It is not. Is it from Crystal Village? It is. Is it a single varietal? Yes, it is. Is it Cab Franc? Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your question, Jesse. Limited it to five. Yeah, <laughs> I did. But then it said a little bit further. Yeah. Does anyone want to guess the producer? Is it from Berkshire? It is from Berkshire. Uh, yeah. yeah. I figured since we did our summit there this Apparently summer, the last person gets to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Burgundy. So it is the 2021 Cab Franc Preserve from Berkshire. I didn't get you the vintage. I wouldn't have known that, though, because I haven't had their Cab Franc. So, huh. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I'm gonna set it there, but it's sweating a little bit. <laughs> so yes, Bird Shirt was a gracious host for our Digital Media Summit. Um, they did a fantastic job putting helping us with the event, and uh, certainly encourage everyone to go by and visit them either in Hendersonville or in Chimney Rock. So they have two locations, uh, and obviously Chimney Rock is super scenic there with good views of the monolith there. So <laughs> so now. Thinking back to both the wines we just had, knowing what it is, does it change how you taste the wine? Because they're in the double black glass, the double blind glasses, so 
do you get like, oh, okay, now I'm seeing more of the cherry or more of the... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what's really interesting is that I've been drinking the Cap Franc from Hidden Vineyard, mm. which is much less oak on mm-hmm. the palate than this one. Yes. And I was going to ask, do you know what it's aged in? Because it tastes a little bit different than... I don't remember. We probably wrote it down. Yeah, it's very, it almost like yeah. tastes like bourbon barrel. Or like... Yeah, I don't think it's, it's bourbon probably a newer oak. Yeah. Definitely. Probably a little more American. Probably a yeah. blend of both would be my guess. But, but if it's a reserve, it probably has been aged longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Yeah. All right. I think I thought that the double blinds would kind of hide what it was better. Hmm. But actually, I, I was proud of myself for being able to smell and be like, oh yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I don't have to look at it. It's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what it can do to like kind of heighten the senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So second half conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about what are you looking forward to in 2024? I know we kind of had a little bit of blend there, but what are some things that you're excited about that you want to see more of or you want to do more of? Do you want to start? Um, well, we're actually going to be hosting a kind of a little get together this year for our followers or whatever. Um, we're going to do our little pilot. Um, it's going to be at Hidden Vineyard um, in March. We're going to invite anyone that wants to come, and um, it'll just be a small fee, but then that's just going to cover. We're going to do like charcuterie and um, a private tasting for our, anybody that comes to join our event, and we're just going to have a little special day to just get all our people together that we've kind of met, and let, we've had a lot of people that's you know said to us in our journey, like, we would love to come taste wine, you know, but we don't really have a group, or we don't have someone to... So we're going to try to start doing like pop-ups where we have people cool. come and like advertise and we're going to be there. We'll, you can have a big group of us. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about doing this year to kind of get those people to meet up that are from over the state. And Nice. So. Excellent. Well, I'll go next. I'm looking forward to uh, more sparkling. Hopefully, I mean, as we're seeing more and more of that around the state and, and wine dinners. You're seeing more of those as well with, with pairings and individual wineries. Um, and depending on where you go, the experience is different. And that's what's cool about it. It's not going to be the same uh, each place. And there's lots of wineries doing them now. So just just find one local to you or in an area that you want to go visit. And watch their social media and get on their newsletter. And you know, a lot of people are doing that. And so that's a, it's a good way to... Understand how food and wine pair well together, what works together, um, and, and experience something different. And I think it's a great way to spend an evening. So, absolutely agree. And I'll piggyback on that. Um, so I know this year there's been quite a few taste of right taste of Charlotte, taste of of yeah. um, Asheville, Nexus, Winston Salem, and um, I'm looking forward to getting involved. So we're gonna, we're going to do the one in Charlotte this upcoming week. Um, so this year for Blends and Bubbly, I was just telling Brianna this, I got, it was really busy with work. I took a new role, um, last year. And so work was really, really busy. And I kind of stepped back a little bit from my normal, like engagement, um, and activities. So this year I'm really looking forward to being like way more intentional. I totally am going to take one of your courses. I already looked at, looked up, I couldn't find what I was looking for. So we'll talk today, but I yeah. do plan on taking one of your courses and um, being more intentional about um, just my plans for the year. So um, we'll do lots more meetups and, and pop-ups and a lot we do often 
post on our social media, like we're going to go to such and such vineyard, bring your laptop and we'll work from there, right? So we're going to do a lot more of that again um, in 2024. Cool. So yeah, I'm looking forward to these taste ofs. Yeah, and there's, so the one one I went to say, so Charlotte is probably happened, going to be happening after this or before this episode is released, but the next one will be Winston-Salem mm-hmm. with the Wine Growers Conference. And then they have one planned for Wilmington in May for a wine month. And it'll be on the battleship of the USS North Carolina in Wilmington on the Cape Fear River. So yeah, that's uh, something you're going to keep in mind amazing. for that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I was just going to say the one in Wilmington on the battleship. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. Just- might be a little warm, but we'll have fun with it. Bring your fans. Yeah. <laughs> I think for us it's similar, just trying to be more intentional next year with little kids and families and stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to realign some stuff next year, but attending new things and maybe taking a past year on some of the stuff we've historically done. But different and exciting. Mm-hmm. That's what life is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, and you can certainly keep yourself busy throughout the year with some events that happen uh, every year with the, the Taste of NCs, as we've been talking about, um, the, the NC Fine Wines Dinner that's usually in April, the Wine Growers Conference in February, this, this in 2024, the State Fair, and enjoying uh, that that aspects in Raleigh, and the Mountain State Fair even in, and I believe both of those, you were able to taste North Carolina wine at both those events usually, right? You yeah. Know? Um, and then there's also festivals throughout. And then again, you're, you have opportunities to engage with your local wineries. Um, they're always looking for volunteers or having events for blending and, and that sort of thing. Those are ways to, to stay engaged. And I, I look forward to maybe getting out a little bit more. We haven't, for the last few years, have been a little tougher for us to get out and explore. Um, so hopefully we'll get to experience new things. I will say that there were a few new wineries that we did finally get to experience uh, this year. Um, Slanted Window in Franklin. So if you have not been to Slanted Window, um, their vineyard is not on the tasting room site, but they also have uh, food there, and it's not far off of downtown Franklin in, far, in kind of southwest North Carolina. Uh, we also happened to stop into Shooting uh, Creek uh, Vines, they're in Hayesville, kind of between Franklin and, and Murphy. Uh, and we also spent some time out in that upper Hiawassee ABA with uh, the folks at Notley River Valley and Ferncrest uh, earlier this year. So those are great places to go. Downtown Murphy was so cute to go walk through on Saturday morning and, and just see there's a farmer's market in, the, in that, that time. So again, you can make it more than just wine. You can go and see the state, as Brianna referenced earlier. Um, and those are some things that stuck out this year, and I hope to get to hope to do more of that kind of thing in twenty twenty four. Yeah. One more thing that came to mind are these wine festivals, and while these wine festivals bring wines from all over, there is starting to be a lot more of an NC wine uh, presence at the festivals. So, being able to try new wines that way and getting some good exposure from the the festivals. So definitely we're going to keep doing those this year. We do our pop-ups and we sell our products and stuff. Um, But yeah, for people that are listening, check out those wine festivals. Great opportunity to explore so many different wine options. And if you have a favorite festival and they're not pouring North Carolina wine, ask them why and maybe suggest uh, some wineries they should contact to to get on their bill. So yeah. 
Natalie Rihanna. <laughs> Um, well, the, the idea of uh, looking for our events, um, I recently went to a raclette cheese tasting at mm. Botanist of Barrel, which was just really fun. And um, so in addition to the dinners, I think you're seeing a lot more creativity around events at wineries. This one was kind of fun because this was a Swiss, Swiss cheese that they would actually melt and then slice the goo off onto a... Um, plate of things that you can taste gooey cheese what's better than that wine and and you know wine pairs great with gooey cheese so um yeah just looking for those events near us when we're farther away from Yagan Valley but we do have wineries and meteries and cideries nearby so we always um look for fun events there yeah excellent yeah, so the, the new thing I'm looking forward to, or at least we're, we're hoping to try to accomplish, um, certainly with the council, is more education, trying to hone in kind of an ambassadorship that other states have that they use to teach people about the wine in that area and then have them go forth <laughs> and, and get more people to join in, which is great. I think that education is, is so important for for wine and for getting people to know what they like and find what they like. And we are also trying to just have more awareness in general, really trying to put out uh, as much as we can about North Carolina wine. And that's just something that I'm looking forward to and trying to put together because these are just huge projects and they take a lot of time, but I hope that we can eventually get down to them where uh, we're ready to launch some new things for people to, to see, consumers to see and then some for industry too, more webinars, more uh, get-togethers, more whatever it is to try to uh, educate our industry and educate our consumers too. Absolutely, it's always a good thing to know more about what's going on and what we have to offer. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about a lot of the nets like it's all sweet, like no, it's not all sweet. And there's so much you can do near you. So. Well, and there's still so many people, not only in North Carolina, but across the country that don't know that we make wine in North mm-hmm. Carolina and that we make good wine in North yeah. Carolina. It's so shocking. It is. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so that's definitely something that all of us are passionate about and trying to elevate and just need to continue doing that. Yeah. So, One thing I'll add on to, we've had a lot of comments here is about this idea of being more intentional. And I think it's a good time to be more intentional. We have a lot of things going on next year, but I think we all do. So really focusing in on what we want to do and doing it really well. So I think yeah. that's something that's going to be something that I'm looking forward to as well. And we'll be celebrating 10 years as NC Wine Guys. So that's kind of a fun thing. Yay! Yeah, so we're, we're kicking around some ideas, but uh, we'll see um, some ideas about the website, uh, some things coming with Cork Talk, and uh, hopefully some other ideas that we have of, of ways to celebrate so that's exciting yeah any other parting thoughts from anyone i just always say you know i've worked in a few tasting rooms and i've met people from all over the country that have been on their journeys a lot of ohio people pass through 52 on their journeys and we'll stop off and every one of them is always surprised they're always you know pleasantly surprised at what we have to offer and i think you know this group in particular has a really important part in getting all this on social media outside of the wineries making their own posts but you know sharing to all our audiences of what we can offer what we north carolina does so that whenever we can kind of break this stigma that we don't you guys don't grow wine but um it's it's nice just to you know have all of you guys here and to meet you all and just 
what you do makes a big difference. And I know sometimes it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. So Absolutely. So rapid fire, how can people find out more about you, Delorean? Yeah, so Blends and Bubbly, it's B-L-E-N-D-S and A-N-D, Bubbly, on Instagram and also on Facebook, and then www.blendsandbubbly.com. Perfect. And we're wantyfriends.com, and we're on all social media platforms as wantyfriends. Excellent. So winemouths, W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S.com, or winemouths on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Tar Heel Taps and Corks A and B, and uh, it's a WordPress. We're at NC Wines on Instagram, at North Carolina Wine on Facebook, and ncwine.org for our website. And we have an app, the NC Wine app. So everybody go download the app. Yes. Right now. Do it now. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you all very much. Hope you all enjoyed the holiday season. We definitely appreciate having everyone over. This is such a fun thing to do uh, to kind of wind down our year for our favorite things. Um, Cheers. If you've listened to previous Favorite Things recaps, you may have noticed a specific voice that was missing. And that voice was our dear friend, Arthur Barham. He wasn't able to join us the day everyone else came over, but fortunately we were able to connect with him afterwards and talk to Arthur about his favorite things of 2023. So Arthur, how are you? I'm great and I hope you guys are as well. Yes, we are. So we're so glad to have you back on Cork Talk and able to join us for our holiday episode, albeit without the the bigger crowd that was here earlier, but uh, we're glad to catch up with you. So happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you, Joe and Matt, and happy holidays to you as well. And I would be remiss if I did not send holiday greetings from the boss. (laughs) We know her as Mary. We love Mary. The drinker of red wine. (laughs) <laughs> indeed, indeed. So Arthur, give us a quick intro of who you are. We know who you are and our listeners probably do, but for anyone who's just tuning in, who are you? Sure, of course. My name is Arthur Barham. I am the proud creator of Merlot to Muscadine, media dedicated solely to promoting North Carolina vineyards and wineries. Now, you, we didn't have a mystery wine with you before, so you weren't here when you could join us, but can you guess what we're drinking in our glass? I'm Chardonnay. <laughs> a little dark for Chardonnay. Yeah, we added food coloring to it tonight. So, But, you know, I have to say, I saw the pictures. Did you guys use opaque glass? We did. We did, yep. Did they not burn down the door to your castle? It was interesting. So you'll hear it in the episode when we when we release it, but we started out one going counterclockwise and then by the end of it the last person got it and then we went clockwise and by the end of it the last person also got it so it was kind of fun it was a process of elimination that's a great process the one or two times i pulled them out people hated it and wanted to chop me up (laughs) at an axe they they were upset that the sensory vision part had been taken out of it. They rely so heavy on that. But I am so sorry I miss that. Brianna will tell you I am always trying to hone my tasting skills, and that would have been a great opportunity to do it. There will be more. Yeah, it's it's fun. It does make you actually use your nose and your your taste buds more than than just your... uh, your eyes, so yes, really your eyes can deceive yes, you. It can, yeah, they can. So, 
So Arthur, tell us, um, what were some of the favorite things that you celebrated or that you experienced this year that you're, you know, very thankful for and you want to talk about? Well, Joe and Matt, I appreciate this opportunity to share these things with you. And I have to say, 2022 was such a great year. I got to be a speaker in your very own digital media conference. That was huge for me. I, I didn't know how I could surpass that in 2023. But as I prepared to sit down and talk with you and Joe, I discovered I had so many things that I was privileged to be a part of this year. It was very hard to narrow them down, but I have picked out just a few things to share with you guys. I actually have seven things that were my favorite things of North Carolina wine 2023. Number seven was I was privileged to attend Uncork at Umstead Park. And that was during North Carolina Wine Month. And they focused only on North Carolina wines. They poured several. They poured Stony Knoll Viognier. They poured uh, a couple of Dynamis Reds. They poured uh, Blanc de Blanc from Jones Von Drail. And they paired each one with small plates. Bumped into Brianna Burns and her husband there. At that time, the uh, tasting was conducted by Troy Revelle. He was director of wine there. Now he is at Farrington. He was amazed at the quality of North Carolina wines. And coming from somebody as educated in wine as he was, I was a bit shocked. But again, everybody has that first initial experience. You and I have been fortunate enough to have it many, many years ago. And that is the beauty of what we do. So many people are still out there that have not been introduced to North Carolina wine. So number seven, Uncork. Uh, Matt, number six would be my collaboration with my good friends at Fireclay Cellars. We have a, a regular offering we do called Perfect Pairings, where they release a wine and I pair it with a uh, food or dish. Um, very soon they are going to release a red blend called Fireside. Hmm. Uh, it will be part Cabernet Sauvignon, part Cabernet Franc, and part Tanat. And I will be pairing it with some yummy foods for the holidays. Uh, so I am looking forward to working with them in 2024. And uh, they are also very close to releasing sparkling tremonet oh. okay okay <laughs> you heard it here first <laughs> okay so at number five i would put in my bl uh, blind sparkling tasting that i conducted at my home uh earlier in the year in april it featured all north carolina sparkling wines uh i had raffaldini i had uh uh, Addison, uh, Addison Farms, is it? Mm -hmm. yes. Addison Farms. Um, I had several. Uh, all North Carolina. We had a great time. I'm going to carry that over into 2024, and we'll put the uh, winner of the 2023 tasting, which was Raffaldini's Arguri. We're going to put that up against uh, Vino de Lusa from uh, Piccioni. 
the Blanc de Blanc from Jones von Drehl, uh, uh, the sparkling wine industry in North Carolina is growing exponentially, and it is very exciting to be on the sidelines watching it. Absolutely. Guys, coming in at number four would be my attendance at the Southeastern United Grape and Wine Symposium at Surrey Community College. This was my first year. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I even sat in on a presentation about growing mincing. Okay, it was very informative, very educational. I love the grand tasting at the end, and what a great opportunity to network with fellow bloggers and influencers. Got to see you guys. Well, we always enjoy seeing you, Arthur. Well, this year was my first one, so I'm I'm excited to 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 go to that again next. Year. Um, for number three, guys, I put in uh, my uh, uh, opportunity to judge wine competitions this year, the NC Wine Competition, and I also judged for their best of show. And I even was able to take that experience and share it with uh, some North Carolina Vineyard wine clubs. Uh, I wanted to convey to wine club members who were privileged to be in a wine club where the wines were award-winning. This is not just a haphazard process. It's very structured. There's almost a bit of luck involved in it. And I, I teach them the same things that judges look for when disseminating one wine from another. Color, aroma, body, mouthfeel, finish. Um, I've been very, very lucky to, to get ever since I became sommelier to be extended an opportunity to judge. Excellent. Always a fun thing to do. Yeah. You just have and to learn, learn how to spit and pace yourself. That's true. You're you have to learn how to spit. Trouble, Absolutely. Buddy. Um, so I'm getting near the top guys. I know mm -hmm. you're wondering what's going to be number one and number two. For number two, I put uh, the NC Chef Showdown, mm. which I was able to attend at the Angus Barn Pavilion earlier in the year. They regularly showcase the culinary talents of local chefs and bakers and bartenders and distillers and mixologists. But this year, they paired the food with award-winning North Carolina wine. And I have to say, it was a I feel it was a match made in heaven. Mm. Atmosphere was electric. And somebody shoved a microphone in my face and said, <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about this? I said, it's like the Grammys and the Tonys and the Oscars <laughs> all rolled up into one. That's a great so thing. So I certainly hope they consider perpetuating that in the future and combining North Carolina wine with the food. And guys, I would have to say my number one favorite oh, thing for 2023, you were a part of it, thank you both so much, is my blind to not tasting Ooh. that I had back in May, where we pit several North Carolina to nots against Virginia, Texas, France, Uruguay, 
and you were there. You yes. were two of the judges. That was amazing. The top two tonight's were um, Shelton Vineyards and Surrey Cellars. And, and Matt, I think that's tonight in your glass right now. <laughs> I wish it was, but it is. Not. I was just joking when I said Chardonnay. <laughs> I think you're drinking tonight. We wouldn't want to make you jealous of us drinking tonight. So we, well, we chose a me, red blend. But. You would make me jealous. And <laughs> I went home and told my wife, oh, guess what they were drinking? And she would go, you better not say tonight. And then, <laughs> then you would, you, you know, that's her favorite. The more organic, the better. So as you can see, 2023 for me was a, a very, very busy year. And guys... It's hard to believe, but I just started doing this stuff four years ago, and 2024 will be my fifth year mm. as Merlot to Muscadet. So I'm planning all kinds of special celebratory activities to mark such an auspicious occasion, and you know I will make you aware of them as soon as I can. Absolutely. We would love to take part. Yeah, especially since you live so much closer now. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we'll be celebrating 10 years as NC Wine Guys in 2024. Well, you know, I wanted to, I wondered because I thought, wow, I've been out here five. I wonder how long NC Wine Guys have been out here. And I had you out here even longer. So kudos to you both. <laughs> well, we've been drinking wine in North Carolina wine more. But, yeah. Will you be 10 years next year, 2024? Yes. Yes. Yep. July yep. Of next oh, year. I smell a collaboration. Yes, we should we definitely go. do that. Absolutely. I smell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arthur, thank you for running down that list with us. And thank you for telling us what you're excited for the next year, because that was the second half of what we had talked about. So aside from your fifth anniversary, is there anything else that you're excited for for this 2024 coming up? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have so many irons in the fire. I just hope some of them I can pull out and brand somebody with. <laughs> um, I am collaborating with a bow tie manufacturer to create a signature bow tie, which we are hoping to roll out in February. Um I had a Tempranillo tasting at my home just a few weeks ago. It featured the wines of a Spanish uh, uh, vineyard, but I actually threw in some Minaric from Rhonda, and it held its own. It was very, very good. Um, during the Tempranillo tasting, I played North Carolina wine trivia oh. with all the people to kind of break the monotony of just drinking wine. <laughs> and I would ask them questions like, what North Carolina winery shares its name with a major hotel chain? And of course, the answer is... Wow. Hmm. Oh, Hilton Vineyards and... Very good! Monroe. Okay. Um, I asked him what was the 100th? Cobble Creek. Very good. So as you can see, 
I, I think it might be something to just, you know, we heard a lot at the symposium about getting your story out there. Mm. What better way to get your story out there than with a North Carolina wine trivia game where you go around the board learning the story of wineries before you even go there. That, that's something I have on the back burner. And I am also considering or, or actually trying to work with a couple of wine, some uh, food and wine pairing. Excellent. Well, like you said, you have a lot of irons in the fire, Arthur. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, opportunity, even uh, just today, something came up. So you never know. You just stay hopeful and, and keep yourself out. Absolutely. So, Arthur, tell people how they can find you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I have a website, www.merlot2gedine.com. I can also be found on Instagram, Twitter, and I have a very vigorous YouTube, also called Merlot to Muscat. Arthur, thank you very much for okay. joining us. We're very happy that you could uh, join us virtually and we could get you in on our favorite things for 2023. Thank you both for having me. I greatly, as always, I look forward to it. Happy holidays. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to everyone who was able to join us. We always enjoy having our friends over to talk about North Carolina wine. As you heard, 2023 was a great year. And we encourage everyone to go out and experience something new in 2024. Speaking of 2024, we're busy planning our sixth season of Cork Talk. We'll be back in January. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at NC Wine Guys. And remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers and happy holidays! This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.